0: Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they're able to overcome or transcend. The outcome of the 2016 presidential election was a shock, to say the least, to the majority of the electorate, it seems. Polls consistently showed Hillary Clinton with a healthy lead over Donald Trump throughout the campaigns. There was a narrowing in the final weeks, particularly after the release of a bombshell memo from FBI Director James Comey rehashing some questions over Clinton's use of a private email server, which definitely impacted the polls. We may never be certain to what extent the Comey memo impacted voters' choices, but it seems safe to surmise that it did erode some of Clinton's numbers. So that is the historical, factual outcome to the election. But what did the election outcome mean to women, and particularly to Clinton supporters? Women organized and fought for the right to vote in this country starting as far back as 1840. Women didn't gain the right to vote until the passage of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution in 1920, less than 100 years ago. The first woman was elected to Congress before women even had the right to vote. Jeanette Rankin was elected to represent the state of Montana in 1916. Women have fought hard to be recognized as equal citizens, competent professionals, comparable business leaders, doctors, scholars, teachers, lawyers, and on and on. Equal. The possibility of a woman rising to the presidency was more than a watershed for women. This accomplishment would have been a validation for every woman, every girl, that yes, indeed, a woman could serve in this highest office in the country and not just serve but perform with distinction and grace and competence and strength it would be a giant marker in history showing that, yes, at this time, a woman can be the most powerful. And by proxy, there was the promise that womankind, every woman and every girl, could be equal and have equal opportunity. So let me share a personal story here. I followed the election with my preschool daughter, who actually happens to be named after a suffragette. We talked frequently about the election and what it meant for women that we had a woman as a candidate for president. Finally, we even campaigned together. On election day, she came with me to the polls to see me cast my vote for a woman for president. We waited out the day holding our breath, much like the rest of the country. When her bedtime came and the final numbers were far from tallied, I sent her to bed after having a discussion with her about what a momentous day this was for all women. We had fought so hard and so long for this. I told her that she would remember this day for the rest of her life because this this was history unfolding. On this day, on this day women would finally achieve that hard-fought victory that was for so long, so far out of reach. In the morning, my daughter came down from her bedroom to find out the election results. And through sobs, I explained to her that Hillary Clinton did not win the presidency. The man won. Once again, the man won. And here I have to pause because we have all been impacted so profoundly by this election, because this was not just the choice of one candidate over another. To women, it was yet another repudiation of our identity. We are not men. And we can't be equal. It can't be. Not yet. Coming up next, my interview with Laurel Brett. She is a teacher, scholar, and above all, a longtime activist for equal rights for women. Welcome
1: to Women Transcend Laurel. Hi, Jennifer. I'm so happy to be here,
0: happy to meet you, and happy to be speaking to your audience. Yeah, I really appreciate you joining us to talk about this issue that I think has been on the mind of a lot of women. I read your op-ed on Medium, uh, Still Will Rise, and it really resonated with me. And so I'm really glad that you're able to join us to talk about these underlying issues. I'm so pleased to have been asked. Yeah, so let's just get right to it. Lots of Americans, I think men and women, don't really understand what the impact of Hillary Clinton's loss for the presidency in November means to women. Do you have any thoughts on that? And can you maybe put some words around what some women are feeling about this loss?
1: Well, the women who are really suffering right now and actually, I've had many friends say they are in a depression, every day is hard to get through, even now, are women who actually most of them have been with Hillary since 2008. And in 2008, people, women, who really were behind her put aside their partisanship to support Barack Obama. And I think we're all very happy that we did. And even if we had preferred... HRC. I think having a Democrat in the White House also addressing some of our history of racism was very fulfilling. This time, however, people were 100% behind Secretary Clinton. And we had been promised by polls, by all our own hard work, and just our common sense when we saw what a well-prepared candidate she was and how ill-prepared her opponent was, we fully expected her to win the presidency. And when it didn't happen, and didn't happen not just because of everyday political issues, Democrats versus Republicans, as we began to be convinced that bias against women played a big role in her loss, there started to be a kind of despair that we live in a culture that will never allow women to be equal. And I think women are suffering on her behalf and our own behalf too.
0: Absolutely. And I think that the loss has kind of awakened this latent feeling that a lot of women carry. I think almost all women carry that we aren't equal. And the loss kind of brought that it brought that up in a way that it's almost that we have to address that.
1: Well, we're not equal or they won't let us be equal. Yes. I think is more the feeling that we have because I think through campaigning, through a lot of women because of actually the aggression of many Bernie Sanders supporters A lot of Hillary supporters were forced underground into private, I almost want to say secret Hillary groups, but it was a place where women grew really strong. We saw doctors, lawyers, anthropologists, scientists, mothers, um, students, women who were really performing important tasks in the world coming together to support a woman candidate, and that was empowering. And the idea that the latent misogyny in the society still won't allow that is extremely bruising and difficult to deal with. And also, I think the criticism that our candidate was subjected to, comments like she wasn't capable of being a president. She didn't have the chops. She's a bad candidate. She's a flawed candidate. Even today, Joe Biden said, I never thought she was the right candidate. It's become a cottage industry. Well, it has been forever to Uh bash Hillary Clinton. So I think that many women are taking that very personally as if they were the ones under attack, because in a sense, as a metaphor, we are.
0: Yeah, And also the sort of eagerness that people have. Have shown to believe these false stories, you know the fake news that was circulated by, who knows, Trump, Russia, who knows? But you know, for example, the story that she has Parkinson's, and and these all these ridiculous stories, the fervor that that um, has incited, and the the willingness for people to accept lies about the woman candidate when the man the male candidate was so visibly and outwardly problematic but all- everything was overlooked. Well, I think that was very well said on your part.
1: And yes, we can talk about those fake news stories, but then when we add to it emails and Benghazi oh, and yes. <laughs> stories that gained traction that had no business doing so considering Everyone uses private email servers in Washington because the State Department and the other federal agencies routinely crashed. And many, many embassies were attacked under Republican administrations as well. So the kind of traction those stories got, that are, they're still getting. Yes. If, if those are still codes for the internal resistance that many people including women have to see a woman president.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that is an excellent point is the because as you say even today we keep hearing on the news just this morning I heard but her emails, but Benghazi, when the world seems to be on fire, they fall back to this ridiculous straw man. And the the idea that this is not about that. It clearly is not because th- there were seven hearings and she was cleared. It's it, like you said, it's code. It's, it's just reigniting the feelings that were behind that malicious attack. Well, one of the pieces that I wrote on Medium before the
1: one that you referenced was Bernie Sanders and unconscious misogyny. And one of the things that's always so hard to get to are people's unconscious beliefs and unconscious motivations, because we don't have a universal consensus in our society that the unconscious even exists. So people are convinced that they understand what's motivating them when they very, very well may not be. They, they have not met their own misogyny necessarily. Yes. They have not met their own bias. So even though
0: it's visible to outsiders, it's not visible to them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, it hasn't been until really fairly recently that women kind of embrace the term feminist and some still are pushing back against it and the, the whether misogyny actually exists. Seems ridiculous to have these discussions, but I think that, like you said, people are not, don't want to own, just like racism, it exists, we need to name it and address it.
1: Well, one of the interesting things to me, especially in my role as a teacher, is the lack of awareness that students, but then just the person on the street, also has about the fact that we haven't always had patriarchy. People assume that it's been the relationship between women and men, as my students like to say, since the beginning of time, because that's how they envision anything. But in fact, patriarchy is really only about 10,000 years old. It comes at the tail end of the human experiment. And I think certain economic pressures like the waning of agriculture as the primary material culture for the human race are making patriarchy crack, and we're starting to see its fissures. And we do have situations in the world right now, in the United States, I can stay with that, that women are earning more college degrees than men are. Uh huh. That actually, for the first time ever, women's IQs are starting to top men's IQs. Uh-huh. Lots of things like this are happening, which is sho- actually showing, I think, a loss of the power of patriarchy. Of course, there's an entrenchment and a backlash, as there will
0: always be in times of transition. That is a great point. And I think that one could argue that the election of such a problematic candidate who was so accepting of this toxic masculinity is an example of those fissures in the patriarchy causing disturbance in the the status quo of the patriarchy. Well, he's kind of the poster child for it, right? Yeah.
1: And his followers don't like him despite his toxic masculinity. They like him specifically because of his toxic masculinity. Uh And some of the things he did during the primary process to men in his own party, were so humiliating. Little Rubio calling Ted Cruz's wife ugly. I mean, things that are so uncivilized. But those were the very things that I think he was winning admiration for. So we are seeing one segment of society, and unfortunately, through bizarre historical events, our electoral college process, perhaps election tampering, definitely voter suppression, we see that segment of society coming to the fore. And it's very problematical. I'm very afraid of what would happen if Trump were impeached and Pence became president. We are watching on TV now uh, Margaret Atwood, Handmaid's Tale. Uh What would happen to women in a Pence-America? This is really frightening because the desire to return to the status quo that they think is essential to human beings, when really it's not. It was just a feature of one social organization that existed for 10,000 years.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And as you reference in your op-ed that Ingalls wrote, the patriarchy owns the bodies of women. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. So- I'm going to jump back um, historically. In thinking of previous elections, I think the seeds for this feelings of unfairness and the double standard for women politicians started a long time ago. And one of the early trailblazers was Geraldine Ferraro. She was on the ticket for vice president and when they lost that election, and she was widely criticized for shedding tears. I just uh, hearken back to this because I see Hillary Rodham Clinton now being having to be this stoic, almost robotic response. And I'm not saying that negatively, but if women show any emotion at all, That's a weakness. So it's, you know, oh, she's being overly emotional. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think underlying what you're saying, the assumptions
1: underlying it are that the male persona is the ordinary persona and the woman, the female persona is a deviation. Rather than the fact that society is 50-50, actually a little more female, that the female persona is not a default persona. It's an equal, co-equal persona. And that is exactly what we are not able to communicate. Uh-huh. And what is so, so frustrating. I just read some of my friends who are lawyers talking on a thread this week that many judges in their courtrooms require them to wear skirt suits and not pant suits. And I find that absolutely outrageous that men can dictate to women what they should wear in a professional situation, as long as they look professional. Uh Uh-huh. The belief is male is normal, female is abnormal. So if men don't cry in that situation, well, that means women shouldn't cry in that situation. Rather than men will have one response, women will have another response. Uh Uh-huh. And I... I think this goes back so much further than Geraldine Ferraro. I think it goes back to the suffrage battle. Oh, yeah. Because the reasons that were given that women shouldn't have the vote were all style reasons, just like that. Uh huh. That women not only had to be sentient and have the cognitive skills to vote, they also had to be morally good. And that persists with women candidates, and we also have to be able to put aside our domestic sphere to be able to be citizens. And I really question that. Why can't we operate as citizens right out of the domestic sphere? Why do we not live in a society that recognizes raising a child is just as important as earning a dollar? Uh We don't. I, this is, I have a very funny kind of corollary to tell you. A society on one of the islands in the Pacific existed that the women raised sweet potatoes and the men raised yams, or it was the other way around. They were so similar. And the one that the men raised were only used for ceremonial occasions, but were considered much more important. So the men were granted much more status for raising them than the women were, although the women were eaten every day and the women had to work much harder. Uh huh. So in patriarchy, we always find a way to assign more status, value, benefit, meaning admiration to what men do than what women do, arbitrarily. And I think that's what was such despair, you know, starting with your first question for women, that the best, most prepared woman that we had to offer was considered by some less worthy than the least prepared man. Yes.
0: So the loss or the, I think it's a a feeling of, of grieving after Hillary Rodham Clinton's loss, it led to this women's march. And then this movement that sort of seemed to go global. we There were hundreds of, of marches in countries all over the world. So what do you think has moved women worldwide, and men as well, but in particular women worldwide, in your opinion, to rise up and organize as they have? I
1: think the fact that Donald Trump had shown himself to be so toxic. His comments on grab them by the pussy and just everything he said was so revolting that I think for once women around the world actually felt protective toward American women, which must have been a very new feeling for them. You know, like the whole ugly American syndrome that we're rich and powerful and control the destiny of other countries. Suddenly women in other parts of the world kind of wanted to take care of us. And saw us as the little sisters. Uh And and the signs they held up at their marches, I don't know about you, Jennifer, but they really moved me. Oh, yes. We're with you, American women. Uh We see you. We know you're there. Their joy in knowing that we don't have a monolithically colonializing and oppressive society. And their desire to help, to be of help, because they compassionately and empathically felt into what we were feeling, I think.
0: Wow, that is really, I had not thought of it that way. And I find that extraordinarily powerful. And for some reason, I'm immediately thinking of the worldwide empathic response after September 11. And actually not to the same extent, but that attack on the Twin Towers People rose up to show solidarity with us. And the parallel between that horrendous attack and the election of a horrendous man have such parallels. And I'm just working through this out loud, but this right here is my OMG moment. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I see that. I felt it so deeply. And
1: I'm a New Yorker, so... This is my life, that we just always seem to be at the epicenter of all these events. Um, my daughter was supposed to be with Hillary the night of the election, and she decided not to go. And I, I don't mean with her as knows her personally. I just mean where she was Sure. in Brooklyn. And she decided not to go, and she was here with me. The three members, my husband, my son, and my daughter, were all crying. I became the mother. I couldn't cry. I had to just say, we will get through this. We will get through this together. We're all still here because someone kind of like had to keep it together. So that was my, but the assumption that it was going to be a victory party and the despair, what it turned to the incredulous despair. Yeah. However, if people were listening carefully as I was I think that they knew it was a fixed election because Trump was already naming his cabinet. So he had no doubt whatsoever that he'd be elected. And I don't think that was just his narcissism or his bizarre self-confidence. I think he had an inside fix on what was about to happen. I really do.
0: Yeah, well, I th- I'm hoping that, The truth will come out and we will find out what happened and, dare I say, who our president really should have been. I guess in closing what I'd like to ask you, do you have any sense of hope for the future as we see this wave, a true wave of women entering the political sphere and throwing their hats in rings and races at all different levels? all across the country wanting to engage as activists or to run for political office?
1: You know, I am seeing that. My own daughter has been hired to write policy for a new party called the American Women's Party that can be reached at hashtag AW party. And Great. she is 29 and she is extremely engaged in doing this work. My... Interest is somewhere else. And my interest is, is in trying to crack the nut of toxic masculinity and winning male allies. Because I think, in the end, most people want to live in a society that women and men build together. And that we have to find a way to get past this Bernie bro, Hillary supporter divide, I have no idea how, because so many of Bernie's supporters have been so aggressive toward us. But that's always where I'm thinking of the next problem. How can I solve that? What can I do? I have no idea. But that's what occupies my mind. I'm not feeling too helpful yet or too hopeful. Uh huh. But I do know people like my own son who are very strong Hillary supporters, I know other men, I know my husband, I'm trying to engage and, and energize them to find a language where they can speak to other men. Yeah. Because women love men as well. And I'm not talking about heteronormativity or everyone has to be straight or in a sure. heterosexual relationship. But human beings love each other. They want to. So I think we need to find a language that goes beyond, even though I love my pink pussy hat, that goes beyond pink pussy hats and finds a way to speak a language that starts to unravel the misogyny that actually Nancy Chodorow, a great feminist theorist, says that we all have because we're raised by women and our first no's are by women and the first curtailing of our ego desires are by women. So we all have latent misogyny. So I've actually been thinking about that since 1980. And sometimes I think we're making progress. Sometimes I don't, but one thing I guess I am hopeful about is I don't think women are going to be Cinderella anymore and go back into the corner. I think that's over.
0: Yeah. Let's hope. To find common ground to solve this, both halves, as you said, we're 50-50 or thereabouts. We need to find a way to involve men in addressing the patriarchy and in raising boys to understand that this is a patriarchy and to understand the privilege that they enjoy, but you wouldn't know it unless someone points it out. It's not easy. They don't see it. They really are in denial.
1: They really are blind to it. You know, all the mansplaining memes and jokes are very real. Yes. And yes, common ground, but even more so somehow we have to teach them what doesn't come as naturally to them, which is empathy and to recognize somebody else's experience that isn't theirs. A good friend of mine said, a guy, I'm just not interested in novels women write. I think women writers are boring. Our experience doesn't engage men in the way that it needs to for them to understand what the world feels like to us.
0: Yeah, and how to do that. That's the lingering question. So thank you so much, Laurel, for taking your time and for so powerfully laying out this issue and just so many, I got to be honest, (laughs) mind-blowing nuggets of wisdom that, that I so appreciate. And I really want to get conversation started about what is happening and how we can all play a part in making a change. Well, that's an exciting prospect, isn't it? Yeah. I, so I I very much appreciate your willingness to come on and and lend your expertise and um your your wisdom and I thank you so much for all that you do and again you write for Medium if anyone is interested in following your work, and in particular, the op ed that we spoke about today was called Still Will Rise.
1: Thank you so much, Jennifer. This was a pleasure, a pleasure to meet you, a pleasure to speak with you. It usually is to speak to one, a Hillary supporter, one of my sisters. And as always, this has just been a sheer pleasure for me. So thank you so much.
0: This week's Woman in the Spotlight is Hillary Rodham Clinton. For courageously blazing a path as the first woman candidate for a major political party, we honor her strength under the tremendous weight of this responsibility and the painful loss. I also honor her for giving girls hope in her concession speech in which she said, Quote, to all the little girls who are watching this, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world to pursue and achieve your dreams. For this, we honor Hillary Rodham Clinton. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. We bring this podcast to you free and without advertisements. If you enjoy this podcast, an easy way to help support us is to leave a review or feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. A big thanks to Laurel Brett for speaking with me for today's episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.